Welcome to episode 73 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast to ever make it out of the snows of Roanoke alive, (laughs) Uh, with a special focus on the SCG tour. That sentence didn't make very much sense. (laughs) Wouldn't want to put it all together. But I'm here with Collins. Hey, Collins. Hey. And with Lee. Lee McLeod. Lee McLeod. Famous. The the actual podcast. How's it going, Lee? Hey, y'all. I'm doing good. Um, so we were all at SCG Con this weekend. Collins was playing in the Invitational. Yep. Lee and I were grinding cube qualifiers, and Lee grinded the cube qualifiers just a smidge yeah. harder than I was able to. <laughs> I, got, I got to play in the cube. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Lee qualified for the, the cube draft. Yeah, I'm excited to hear a lot about that from, from Lee. Before we get into it, I want to thank our patrons, newest patrons, Chris and Joseph. Thank you guys so much for signing up. We will get some uh, get some tokens out to you. And if anybody else wants to become a patron, hit us up, sign up at patreon.com slash mtggrindcast or go to our website, mtggrindcast.com. All right, I'm going <laughs> to skip most of the stuff. We're going to skip the key from all. It's mostly just story time because it was a big old weekend. Yeah, this weekend was phenomenal and I'm sure that we all want to talk a lot about it. So <laughs> uh, a lot of a lot of events, a lot of textures over the weekend. So yeah, um, yeah. yeah, let's definitely hit some of those. All right, so well, Lee... You kind of showed us up, <laughs> crushed everybody with KCI in the cube qualifiers. Yeah. So, so let's let's hear about that, because we're also going to have a little bit of a KCI focus this episode, I think. Sure. So there were there are two cube colors, right? There's one on, or I guess two of each, but I played in two of them. I played the one on Friday, and the one on Saturday. The one on Friday, I didn't make top eight, just missed out on it. And then I played in the one on Saturday, which was much more larger. Like the one on Friday had fifty-ish people. Yeah, about I'd fifty. Say. And so it was six rounds, and I didn't make the top eight. The one on Saturday had 150-ish people, so it was eight rounds. And that one, I got to 6-0, double draw, and then... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa. 6-0, Yeah. Sorry. 6-0, <laughs> When I went to go check the standings for after round six, we were going to round seven. Yeah. I was looking at the tiebreakers, and I was the lowest of the, the undefeated. There were three of us, oh, yeah. and I was third. And I look across the tiebreaker screen like, what is 100%? <laughs> I haven't seen that number before. <laughs> yeah. 100% game win percentage. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, Lee's been, Lee's the one who made the, um, what are people calling it these days? The, <laughs> the KCI Bible. The KCI Bible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He wrote that up. And it's honestly, it was the biggest resource that I used to prepare for the Invitational. Um, so it's very clear that Lee knows what he's doing with KCI and was able to demonstrate that with a clean sweep <laughs> through the tournament that day. It was awesome. Yeah, I even had a couple people come up to me during the tournament and be like, hey, you're the reason I know what this matchup is, or I play in KCI and your guy helped me out a lot. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. great. Even my uh, my round eight opponent, the very last round of the Swiss, so I'd already drawn in, and, or drawn round seven at this point. Yeah. So he comes up, sits down at the table, or I get there first and I'm sitting down. I, I pull out all my stuff because I assume he wants to play because I am paired down. He is okay. a match point lower than me. And he... So I start getting out my stuff, shuffling up, and then he comes down, just sits down, doesn't try to pull out his stuff or anything, <laughs> says, would you like to draw? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I say, yeah, of course, because that locks me for top eight. And he's like, great, because uh, my friends told me you're the KCI guy, and I did not want to play that match. <laughs> <laughs> what, de- yeah. what deck was he on? Uh, he was playing Jund. Okay. Yeah. 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 It can be a rough one, yeah. for sure. We ended up meeting in the quarterfinals of the top eight, and I 
I beat him 2-0 as well. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's awesome. How was the cube? The cube was really fun. Like I, So was it like a... Give us an idea of kind of like the power level of the cube, some of the archetypes maybe. So Justin designed the cube to be a vintage cube, sort of like the ones on Magic Online. It has full power, so Black Lotus, Time Walk, all the mocks and all that stuff. Yeah. But he intentionally made some design choices in the cube to make it a little more balanced. Uh, for instance, there's only... 360 cards in the cube, so every card at the table will be drafted. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're guaranteed to see... Well, you're not guaranteed to see a card, but every card will be in the draft. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, some of the design choices in the colors were a little uh, unusual. For instance, Storm isn't in the cube at all. It was too kind of hit or miss. Like, yeah. If you if you dra- ever drafted Vintage Cube online uh, and you force the Storm deck, or even watch John Fiegel's stream, <laughs> that's yeah, all right. it does. Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, your deck is either completely unplayable because you didn't get the cards, or you're just going to crush the draft because uh-huh. your deck's insane. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And you don't really want that variance in such a uh-huh. such prestigious a... tournament. Sure, yeah. So course. he just cut all the Storm cards. Smart. Didn't, didn't bother with it. I like it. Uh, blue was nerfed significantly. A lot of the blue cantrips aren't in the cube. Ponder, mm-hmm. Preordain, some of the more powerful cards... Blue has a, would normally have access to aren't there just to make it a little more balanced among the other colors because blue is just always the most powerful color. Right, right? It right. has two pieces of power. Yeah. Uh, or three with Time Twister. <laughs> it has two pieces. Yeah, it, has, <laughs> it has two pieces of power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't even think Time Twister made it in the cube, but... <clears throat> I can see that, for sure. If there's no Storm deck, right. like, almost, what's the point? Yeah. I don't remember seeing it or thinking about it, so maybe not have been in the cube at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no sweepers, really, in a lot of the colors, because they wanted the aggro decks to be better. Uh, it was kind of demoralizing drafting non-red aggro decks, just building up your creature base, and then everyone you're playing against having, like, two or three rats. Yeah, right. So the aggro decks are a little better now. And I had, a, like, a strategy meeting Okay. with uh, Ollie Antrazi, who was also in the cube draft. Right. Uh, actually, the first time I ever cube drafted, period, was with Ollie. Oh, nice. Yeah, so that, that was cool. So you guys go way back. Yeah, for we played in nationals like seven years ago or something crazy like that. Right, right. And then we just started hanging out at tournaments and cubing and stuff. So we that's awesome. We've been friends for a while now, and it, so it was really cool to cube draft with him. We got to talk strategy, mm-hmm. and we determined that the decks we wanted to draft were the the aggro decks we mm-hmm. thought were the best in the cube. We didn't really want to play blue. Yeah, thought it was a little too weak. So we wanted to be mono red. I thought we thought was the best in the draft because it had all all of its cards like sulfuric vortex, all the aggressive cards, fire blast. It didn't really lose anything from how the cube shaped up. Mm-hmm. So it was still as powerful as always, Bison. Anyone is cube and it always competes yeah, with <laughs> right, storm right, decks right. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, mono red is exceptional. Oh, cube. for sure. Yeah, yeah. We've I've definitely done plenty of cubes where I'm just like you know I'll see a goblin guide and I know just slam in. <laughs> There's a weird Mardu sacrifice archetype in this cube, which I haven't ever seen before in another cube. Mm-hmm. But it looked really good on paper. Okay. Uh, but it was kind of unusual because it used a lot of cards other decks would want, but it oh. had a lot of payoffs like Goblin Bombardment. No one really plays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What were some of the kind of like linchpin cards you think of that archetype? Where like if you got this card, you'd be like, wow, this is. I want to go to this archetype. Yeah, so there was Goblin Bombardment, I think it's the best one. Just a free sacrifice outlet that does damage. Yeah, yeah. It also had uh, Blood Artist and Zulaport Cutthroat, I okay. believe, is the Blood Artist in yeah, Zendikar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those are like the main payoffs. The, like the, you know, incidental pingers or something. Yeah. yeah. And you get the token creations in white and black, like Lingering Souls. Uh, Ophenomancer mm-hmm. makes a snake every turn. Yeah. It makes it 
both upkeeps if yeah. there's a snake, both right? Upkeep. Yeah. You, so you if you have, have a sack outfit, outlet, it's it's very good. Yeah, you ping during your turn, then you ping during their turn, so it's it's very strong. Uh, and you can just play Intangible Virtue if you get it mm-hmm. in that deck, just with all your tokens and attack them and burn them out with your those three cards, basically. Sure. So we thought that deck might be very good, but neither of us had drafted it before, so we didn't really know how that pan out. And we determined pretty early on that Tinker was not very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's only two Tinker payoff cards in the cube. Okay. There was Sundering Titan and Mirror Battlesphere. Uh, okay, yeah. And those are both cards that Reanimator else might or Ramp decks. Right, right, for sure. And if you don't have those two, there's just nothing else to Tinker. There's no Blightsteel Colossus or Sphinx of the Steel Land or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if, we really didn't want to pick Tinker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so of course... <laughs> In the draft, Ollie first picked Tinker. <laughs> His pack was very bad, though. I was watching, and yeah. I I couldn't I, I couldn't choose a card other than Tinker out of that pack. There was just nothing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. It was pretty. He didn't end up playing it either. Right. He, yeah. He of course. Didn't yeah. Play it. What? Uh, how did the What did the draft look like for you? What was your first pick? Uh, my first pick was Monster Jet. Mock. Oh, yeah. Just jeez. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Just like a. This pack has a mox in it. I don't know what I really... There's not, like, a huge archetype card, like Mother of Runes or Sulfuric Vortex yeah. or something like that. Right. Uh, something more powerful than a mox. Mm-hmm. So a mox is just a very safe pick because it you know, puts your whole turn ahead. Like yeah. Mox and do. And it's, I, it's a power piece. You yeah, know, you're going to take power. it. I ended up being in the mono-white uh, archetype. Okay. Uh, with a little bit of a token theme. I drafted, you know, the, both Thalias. Yeah. Thalia Tribal, as it were. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, just, They're pretty know, good together, so <laughs> it <are>. works out. <laughs> well, what's weird, uh, so tangent, Thalia Heretic Cathar, mm-hmm. the three mana the one. The big one. Uh, both of the people I played only had two non-basic lands in their deck. Yeah. Which is unusual for a cube, because uh, playing with Ollie so long, I've learned to draft oh, lands yeah. very highly. <laughs> Dual lands are pretty pretty high priority yeah, pick. Especially the sure ones you can works. fetch for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because this cube had four... Three duels in each color, or four mm-hmm. with a fetch land. So you got to fetch the creature land from the Zendikar sets. Yeah, the shock land and the original duel. Those are the only duel lands in the set. They're in the cube. So were the other two players? Do you think that they were just like drafting, you know, monocolor decks, or they just uh, didn't prioritize that? One of them was blue black and probably didn't prioritize them very much. Okay. Uh, and the other one was just mono red. <laughs> yeah. So okay. He, well, he didn't the, need them. Right. He played strip mine and. <laughs> something else. i bet his I deck remember. was pretty good his deck was very good <laughs> yeah his deck was extremely good yeah, yeah for alex sure. who's playing that deck he ended up winning the the tournament so okay his, his well nice very good mm-hmm. and so i drafted i had this weird thing where i didn't actually know what my second color was throughout most of the draft because i would have i, I picked lands pretty highly the, the white the white lands i had scrubland and godless shrine and two fetches, and Savannah. Yeah. But I didn't have any green or black cards, sure. even though I had a Mox Jet. Yeah. So I was kind of like looking for those, mm-hmm. but they could never, I never found them. Sure. And at one point, I even passed Lingering Souls. Whoa. Already already have the two black duels. Yeah, yeah. And the Intangible Virtue. So what made you pass it? What did you take over it? So because I had those cards, and the Spectral Procession had wheeled in the last pack. Yeah. Like, com- I got it very late. Yeah. I thought no one was trying to draft the Mardu deck or the, the deck I was drafting, like a Tokens deck. Uh-huh. So I thought the Lingering Souls would wheel. Oh, okay. Especially since I had access to two of the white-black lands. Yeah. Like, yeah. I thought it was unlikely people would want to splash it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't wheel. <laughs> so well. that, that kind of sucked. <laughs> right. And I honestly don't remember what I took over it. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I was talking 
Yeah. Uh, to Ollie and after the draft. Yeah. Talking about how he ended up taking the lingering soul. He was, oh, he yeah. was next to me in the draft. Yeah, yeah. And he ended up drafting the Mardu deck. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was more red black focused, and I was letting all the white stuff. Right. So he, he ended up just taking it right after I passed it. So that was kind of awkward. That'll happen. Yeah. But I got a mom. Mom's like one of the best, maybe the best white card in the queue. Yeah, I could see that for sure. I uh, got a Jitte. I had a, what? ended up playing green because I got access to Gavney Township, which I got last pick. Mm-hmm. And like a Goyf and a Reclamation Sage, which were sure. good cards. Okay. When I walked over and I watched the one, the game you took off of the Yermano Red Opponent was mom four for oneing them. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Mom, mom ate a Goblin Crater Maker, made herself pro red. Then opponent had to untap and then fire blast the mom with his two mountains. <laughs> oh well yikes. Yeah, this is our window. We gotta take this shot. Buy lands. <laughs> Literally impossible to beat if it stays in play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Deck. yeah. And then he spent all those resources and I was just able to win the game from there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that sounds awesome. I'm. Uh, I was pretty jealous of you guys fighting for that slot in the cube draft because I. I was. That was one thing that I was gonna miss for sure. Is uh, not every day that you get to play in a in a live cube draft like that with actual physical. With, power. With, yeah, with actual yeah. powered cards. <laughs> so that's incredible. The, the the most surreal thing was that it was. Uh, you know, when we do the draft portion, they explain all the rules. Yeah, and it's a. They treat it like it's competitive REL draft, so yeah, like yeah. at a Grand Prix or whatever, nationals. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to, so they call time for the cube draft. Yeah. And this is the first time I've ever done that for a cube draft. Not used to like, you know, a judge being there, like 50 seconds, pick up your cards, <laughs> okay, pass. And I could tell a few people at the table weren't used to that at all. People were getting a little nervous. It was a little weird for, you know, a cube, which is usually, you know, the casual format. Yeah, 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 for sure. Every call draft that I've had has been in a format where I've drafted it 20, 30, 40 times. Some of these cards, you like, even if you've cubed before, you might still have to read some of these right. cards. Yeah, what was awkward is that uh, at one point I'm thinking of taking Liliana Heretical Healer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the flip, 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 flip the Liliana. Liliana. Right. And I could not remember what the backside did. Oh, no. So, and you can't just, like, take yeah, it out, right? It out yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure it's some it's weird plus reanimated two thing. each player discards a card. And then pass that. Pass that, I have no idea. What's yeah, the next? Yeah. Something... <laughs> Yeah, that's so. I that's just tough. passed along the road and said, "I, I don't even know if I'm going to get black cards." So right. yeah, I'm not going to waste time. Yeah, yeah, especially double black. Yeah, in a mm-hmm. like spectral procession deck or something. Yeah. yeah, whatever. So, Chris, you also were playing in these events, and you had uh, oh. you made it all the way. Sorry to bring this up in such a <laughs> no, no, fashion, we got to talk about it. Uh, you made it all the way to the semifinals of one of the qualifiers. Yep. Uh, and to clarify, both of the finalists get to right. cube. So this was your winning match for the cube. So I ended up one game off of exactly where Lee ended up. Played Blue-Red Phoenix, which I now am convinced is the proper way to build Phoenix, at least with the metagame looking like it does yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thing in the Ice is just vastly more powerful than a Hollow One strategy or a Burn strategy. Okay. Uh, with as many creatures as there are in the format right now. I just, and, and, and even against like the creatureless decks, it's just the biggest Tarmogoyf there ever was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, honestly. So, <laughs> we had the running joke tournament. Your nut draw was just land into thing in the ice. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Land into thing in the ice into just like having cantrips in your hand. Broken. It's just yeah. really good. Broken. Yeah, I was really impressed with the deck over the weekend. On Friday, so, you know, this was a like kind of softer cube event with only 50 people in it and, you know, a lot of the, you know, more experienced players were playing in the Invitational at that point. So I definitely played against some players who 
didn't quite evaluate the way that phoenixes and thing in the ice were going to transform the board the next turn and that sort of thing you were um, able to kind of utilize the equity that i'm sure ross Merriam got that weekend right where a lot of people just like didn't really it's, understand what was going on it's hard to play against properly and it's yeah. hard to know because you know i would sandbag i a lot of times if i were going to cast two faithless lootings like i wouldn't discard my phoenixes to the mm-hmm. first faithless looting because yeah. that would give up too much information it makes a lot of sense and then all of a sudden i'd have 13 power on the board and that that's game and they weren't playing on it they just died right 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 so the deck is extremely powerful on friday i played a version with crackling drakes uh very similar to ross's version but we had cut the swift spears uh we put in pyromancer ascensions which also weren't good but the swift spears just kind of never did anything uh the only games that i played before the tournament were against lee on kci and the swift spears were not good there so i couldn't imagine them being good in any matchup. Interesting. And okay. I kept drawing them on turn one, and they yeah. still were like... How many Swifters do you have? Just the two? He had two. Yeah. The two from Ross's deck, yeah. Um, and we just cut them. Uh, and then every time I drew Crackling Drake that tournament, it was terrible. And either <laughs> I was fortunate enough to discard it to Faithless Looting, or it just got stuck in my hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Made the semifinals of that, played against Dredge. I think I punted game one in a way that I at least could have bought some more time. I don't know would have ended up... I don't know what would happen, but I definitely made a mistake in basically going for it too early, bouncing stuff to his hand, and then that gave him the opportunity to flip one more creeping chill and then burn me out mm-hmm. with conflagrate with all of his creatures in his hand. So <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. That yeah. was a mistake, and that was that was definitely from a place of not having played that yeah. matchup before. Yeah, yeah. Mental. That was that was actually something that I found a lot when I was testing Storm. Mm-hmm. During a good bit of the time where I was testing Storm, I had Thing in the S in the sideboard as like a, you know, like a juke threat, sure. kind of. And I thought it would be great against Dredge, just like having the Thing in the Ice. But the thing that I found is that Thing in the Ice lines up really poorly against Dredge on many axes. Yeah. They can just play a Stinkweed Imp after you bounce all their creatures. Or they can, you know, have all their creatures bounce to their hand and then conflagrate you for a bajillion or whatever. It's just like everything that it does can be abused by some element of their deck. Yep. Yeah, you basically have to be killing them. Yeah, the yeah, turn yeah. it flips, right, right, right. Right. which is very, very hard if they've mm-hmm. gained six or nine life. Oh yeah, absolutely. Kubi chills are insane in that matchup. Um, so, so that is a tough matchup and and one that I'm gonna want to work on. Uh, game two was a, a pretty cool long grindy game that ended up with me having to like bolt a stinkweed imp so I could get in with the crackling drake. <laughs> yeah, and then next turn like dig for another bolt to bolt the stinkweed imp and get in with the crackling drake again. So that, that was a really cool game. And then game three just got just got dredged on like one of the gnarliest on the play dredge draws <laughs> yeah, that I yeah, see. yeah I believe you described game two as the only game Crackling Drake did anything the entire tournament it, that was literally the only game that Crackling Drake did anything the entire tournament <laughs> was there there was one game against Tron where I like cast it but I had the lethal bolt in my hand and I just didn't I just wanted my opponent to tap out in case of nature's claim yeah, yeah um yeah. And, and there was no reason that was the only other time I cast Crackling Drake in that entire tournament so I cut them for the cube qualifier on Saturday and then wanted Crackling Drake in almost every match that I played. Right, right, right. What so, did you end up playing on the cube draft qualifier on Saturday? Uh, so I played the same deck and in those spots uh, cut the Pyromancer Ascensions because they weren't good. Uh, cut the And that may have been more of me not sequencing properly with the idea of Pyromancer Ascension being in my deck. But that's, okay. that's something that I might have to experiment more. I don't sure. think it's actually good in the deck. You just don't have enough spells it doesn't seem that great to me on paper yeah it just seems really counterintuitive to what the deck is trying to do 
Well, and, and so what we have kind of discovered and what I've, I've thought about by playing it more is the deck is most powerful when it, you know, Serum Visions on turn one, casts a thing, well, specifically a thing in the ice, but casts something on turn two that's very powerful. And so we tried uh, on on Saturday, I tried uh, a Jace Friends Prodigy in that slot and a couple of Vendillion clicks. I was very, very happy with Jace. Uh, so one of the things I'm going to do going forward is I'm going to try like several Jaces in that spot. Yeah. Uh, the thing I'm worried about is that Jace kind of doubles down on your vulnerability to graveyard hate. Um, Rest in Peace is obviously insane against Jace, and even Grafdigger's Cage means it can't minus. Um, but it does shore up things like, um, you know, Blue-White is all path to exiles and surgical extractions and terminuses, so it's hard to attack it along your usual metric. A turn two Jace Vern's Prodigy against Blue Light Control is just completely insane. They have no way to deal with Planeswalkers other than Detention Sphere, right? Yeah, so they could Cryptic it, and they could attack it with Celestial Colonnade, but both of those are things that leave them very vulnerable to your cheap spells. So, um, you know, I had one game against Blue Light where I just played it on turn two, flipped it on turn three, plus it, plus it, plus it, plus it, and then just milled them to death. And there was... I mean, I had a really good hand for, for blocking for it because I had double bolt for the Celestial Colonnade attack and I had two dispels for the Cryptic Commands, but it was just... Even if his things had worked against it, he would have spent so many resources and so much mana on trying to deal with it that I probably could have found a different way to win after sure. he just tried to, to kill it uh, for so many turns. Wow. So I was very impressed with that. But, you know, if he had had a turn to rest in peace, that would have been a really different story. <laughs> Chase would have just been a looter. Yeah. Right. Which is fine. Which is okay. It's not. It's not. It's not a dead card by any means. Right. So I, I'm interested in exploring this deck more going forward. And there's some questions. My my configuration for you know I'm going to play an IQ this weekend. And as long as Lee is okay with me continuing to steal his cards, <laughs> yeah, uh, right, my, yeah. my plan is three Jaces and two Crackling Drakes. And because I think you need something in those slots that is not graveyard hate vulnerable. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And that's that's what I'm going to try. Maybe a third Crackling Drake in the sideboard. But I'm. 100% certain that three Crackling Drake's main deck is too many. So Interesting. Okay. Cool. That's one of the things that I've learned. So yeah, Saturday, lost my first two matches. Every game I wanted a Crackling Drake in. <laughs> um, but then I won. I 6 0 the next six rounds. Oh, okay. But my tiebreakers were so bad I didn't make top yeah. 16. <laughs> well, okay. uh, sure, sure. So I was not able to buy Lee out of his half of the UMA box oh, okay. that we bought together. <laughs> but we got we got lots of UMA products sitting in my bedroom right yeah. now. So. What we did on Friday was because Chris missed the... He lost in the finals, essentially, mm-hmm. on Friday, and I got top 16 because there were so few players. Yeah. We, we just bought three UMA boxes, boxes of UMA. Well, great. <laughs> on the yeah. prize wall. Right. And Chris didn't have quite enough for three boxes, so I just gave him my tickets and... So now we got to figure out a way of splitting that third box, which would be easy if it were just packs. But we've got the box topper, so we may have to like like Pygau duel the box for the box topper or something like that. Yeah, that sounds awesome, actually. Or you know, I'm sure we could get enough people to to get some drafts or whatever. If you guys, yeah, yeah, sure, go halfsies on that or whatever. But yeah, but we got to figure out some some sort of way to split that box topper. Figure it out. I don't know. It sounds impossible to me. (laughs) All right, so tell us about the Invitational. The Invitational. It was, I, you ended up at top 16. That's got, sick, dude. I got 12th. Uh, it was pretty great. I'm very excited about that. 
my goal going into this weekend was I just wanted a decent finish to get started well on the PC race. Mm-hmm. A top eight would be phenomenal, of course, but I honestly didn't really feel like that was realistic given the fact that the week beforehand was entirely me focused on school. this It was finals week, I had papers due, uh, it was crunch time to just you know really focus in on, on all that stuff. So the week leading up to the Invitational, I was purely focused on that. And then, and I thought that would impact me, you know, maybe more than most, just because I'm such a tunnel visioned individual, yeah. <laughs> where it's kind of hard for me to shift gears. But I was able to finish school, I got everything done, it was great, um, and then got up to the Invitational and... Uh, Switched over to playing KCI just because everybody that I trusted told me it was broken and I believed them and I played it and they were completely right. (laughs) Um, Welcome to the club. (laughs) Yeah, I had Lee's study guide to use. It was great. Also, uh, some other resources online. I read Canister's article on Haruya. Um, A lot of really good resources. Uh, There's a really convenient, like if you're a visual learner, there's a really convenient YouTube video. Um, I'm not entirely sure what it's titled, but if you, I'm sure if you Google search uh, KCI loops, it'll the come TCG up. player one. Yeah, I think so. I um, believe it's called uh, Explaining Ironworks Combo or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's just like a for visual learners like myself. It was like a really good way to just have somebody go. You know, these are all the steps, and I knew that I was going to need that because I knew that at the invitation, all people are going to ask me to show them. Yeah. The way that I started doing it was I just sat down with Lee's deck, shuffled it up goldfished it to a point where I thought, this looks like a loop. And then I would look at the Google Doc. Yeah, right, right, right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then practice explaining the loop. Yeah. So the, for, it started off with Modern, and I started off uh, two and two in Modern. Um, I was still pretty rusty, I think, with not only, uh, it was, I I think mostly I was just still rusty playing the actual game that KCI needs to play. Mm -hmm. Once I got to Storming Off, it was fine. I could do that. I could explain the loops. But, you know, KCI still has to play a game of Magic, which is getting to the point where it can combo off. (laughs) And I think I was still pretty rusty with that, and I didn't utilize Psy very well in in some of my post-board games against Jund, and got really punished by that. I just didn't put the value that it deserved on Psy, I think, in that matchup. Psy in that matchup is just you win if it lives. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't matter what else happens. If you can cast artifacts and have Psy on the board... Jun just can't beat that. Um, so I made this kind of like kind of loose block where I blocked a um, uh, Fulminator Mage with my Psy, and then he was able to Colgan's Command do two damage to the Psy. Just and there's oh. just no reason to do that. Uh, so it was a pretty big punt on my part. But then you know later on I got back in the groove. The next day I forrowed uh, mo- the modern portion, and it was phenomenally easy to do so it's just <laughs> the deck was just doing its thing and i was be i was you know i was figuring out how to set it up and i had a better idea of what the wind states looked like so once i had a better day of better idea of what those wind states looked like i i was much better at aiming for them structuring structuring the game so that we got there especially sure. um you what know however you, you want to describe that what do you mean the wind states the the loops Oh, you just trying to play the game to get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, any any game state where I could assemble a loop. And sometimes it's a little complicated because like the pieces are in the graveyard or and or in your hand and or on the battlefield. So they're like each loop has a bunch of different wind states or whatever that I saw. And then from those wind states I'd be like, Okay, from here I can do this to you know, and sometimes you have to maneuver it strangely by like sacking your mirror retriever to get back to your scrap trawler and then all this weird stuff. Yeah. But then you can assemble the loop and, and that's the win state. Right. So the objective, especially in the 
very interactive matchups is like, all right, how am I going to utilize my buried ruins and inventor's fairs to be able to fight through whatever hate they have to get to the point where I can assemble this win state? And that's something you just didn't have practice on in day one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In day two, right. you're going to hang with it. Playing around to like somebody trying to interact with me was lightning bolts or was jarring. And the first three matches that I played were all against Jund. So I, <laughs> I definitely had that. The like, you know, this is supposed to be a good matchup if you know what you're doing, but uh, you need to pretty quickly learn how to kill somebody through a couple of interactive pieces. Mm-hmm. They just interact with you and you don't, and you just let it happen. You, right. Yeah. You, you need to have that. You, you can't just, the, the problem that I ran into early on was you can't just like go and expect it to work out. You have to maybe wait a couple of turns so that you have enough, you know, a land drops to make to get started other things going or redundant pieces or whatever yeah or just buried ruin up to counter the surgical or something yeah yeah that was the kind of stuff that i you know i knew i needed to do at some level but just like starting to do it it's different knowing and then being in practice being that yeah 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 for sure um but once i did get into that rhythm of things i was just blowing through everybody's hate you know, right that's that's, and i was and honestly i felt like i was just playing it to the point that it should be played at you know, not not the optimal point by any means, but just like I was, I was able to play at a level where KCI was just able to do its thing and be this extraordinarily fast, resilient combo deck that I know it to be. So, any hate besides Stony Silence and a clock or Thoughtseize and Surgical mm-hmm. just feels and it has like, to have a clock. If it doesn't yeah, come with a clock, it's just clock. so easy. Yep. And um, sometimes you play against the spirit decks, and they had, their first three turns are all enchantments, and you're just gonna you win. Just draw a bunch of cards. Yeah. The the match that I saw you playing against Hardened Scales, which is a good matchup for you anyways, but there was a turn where he was putting some pressure on the board, and it was kind of like a hold-your-breath kind of thing, and then his next two cards were Damping Sphere and Tormod's Crypt, or Tormod's Crypt and then Damping Sphere. Yeah. And that's just, you just breathe out this sigh of relief, because, like, that Oof, doesn't matter. Those are the last two cards. You're yeah. Right. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. So, yeah, so I, I loved KCI. It was phenomenally busted the whole weekend, I think. And I think that I'm probably just going to play it as long as they let me, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's it, coming into the new season, especially for the Players' Championship, it feels like I have such a higher incentive to stop screwing around with my deck right. selection Every point a little matters. bit. So, so yeah, I, um, I'm, into, I'm into jam some KCI for a while. I, I'm, I believe that I'm teaming with Austin Collins and Zan Syed for the triple modern it's open. It's a strong team. It's, I'm very excited how to many, have those players on How many KCI you. decks are there going to be on your team? Just two. Okay. Just two. Zan's going to do something else. Yep. But, uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about this season coming up. Dude, speaking of Austin Collins. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> Third Invitational Top 8 in a row. In a row. Right after his Baltimore Top 8. Too. Right after his Baltimore Top 8. The kid is on fire, and I am very excited to lock him up for a good bit of this next season as a teammate. Yeah. <laughs> I, and um, I mean, you know, also, not to take anything away from him, but this is also, you know, his Top 8 was also with KCI. Oh, yeah. And so he is playing KCI at very close to 100%, and mm-hmm. that means that he is destroying people. of course yeah of course yeah i mean austin collins could just be the best player on the message tour right now who plays regularly he is is a phenomenal talented young kid who has a really deep understanding of magic yeah so i definitely want to give him some some props for that yeah um he's really demonstrated that he he's very familiar and and plays the game really well so 
really impressed by him. Yeah, I have not gotten a chance to go back and watch coverage. Um, I like I glimpsed at some of his matches, but I'm I'm really looking forward to go back and actually watching those. I recommend it. Play out absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean that was my tournament. So I I decided to play KCI, and then in standard I played White Weenie essentially mm-hmm. with the Red Splash. And I made that choice for a couple of reasons. Uh, going into the weekend, everybody was telling me that Green Black was broken. And that I should just be playing green black. It was the best deck. It wasn't particularly close. I just and don't see I, how that could possibly be true. I believed them to a certain extent uh, because you know these are these are people that I definitely trusted, especially the standard. And they were all telling me that you know green black just had all of the tools to compete in every matchup. Mm-hmm. And now but that it we can't knew... have all of the tools to compete in every matchup in the seventy five at the same time. I think it can. I think I think if you predict correctly with the deck, then then great. But I just don't mm-hmm. think that it can be built at one seventy five. That is great against Drakes and Jeskai and Mono. Like that does not seem possible to me. You know, like is Doom Whisper in your deck? Well, good luck against Jeskai. You know what <laughs> right, I mean? Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, I definitely understand that point. But the the play the people I were talking to were confident in their build, sure. of Green Black. But I decided not to play it for a couple of reasons. Uh, the first of which was that I wasn't prepared at all with this deck, and in order to in order for me to feel comfortable playing green black at the Invitational, I would want to be intimately familiar with everything that's important in the mirror and uh, the plans and all the matchups. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just wasn't. I didn't. I wasn't able to put in that time the week leading up to the Invitational. And the deck that I did have experience with was mono white. And Mono White was n- just not really a huge element of the metagame. Mm-hmm. My perspective of Mono White, and I had said this on the podcast before, was that Mono White was just the best deck in Standard. Just kind of fundamentally the most powered deck in Standard. And it was it makes sense that it was kind of getting hated out a little bit, because while it was, I think, fundamentally the best deck in Standard, it was the most targeted mm-hmm. deck in Standard for a long time. It was tuned towards... Because it dominated the Pro Tour. Yep. But now everybody was inbreeding their green-black decks for the mirror and playing Jeskai Control to go over the top of the green-black decks. It was all about this different dynamic. And nobody was really paying any attention to what I believed to just fundamentally be the most powerful deck in standard. Everyone was kind of playing like a green-black arms race. Like it wasn't the beginning. Yeah, exactly. And the one key piece that really just kind of like solidified everything for me was that everybody was playing like two to three or maybe even more memorial to follies yeah. and having a tap land in your deck as the green black player against a mono white opponent is disastrous <laughs> uh i had many many people that we can tell me yeah if just like one less of my lands came into play tapped i would have easily won this game and i was like yeah well that makes sense <laughs> yeah <laughs> fortunately it didn't right so. yeah um and i mean the flip side of that is i've de- i definitely like at one point in the tournament i walked past uh and i don't remember who it, it was, but it was it was two players that I respect. Yeah, uh, chatting after a game, and one was like, "Yeah, you just drew one more memorial to folly than me." Of course, and, yeah, and so I lost. So it like, makes sense that they were playing two to three or more, just because the deck is the card is so important in the grindy matchups. Mm-hmm. It just breaks everything. So you know, it's it's logical. It's a, a good logical conclusion that they all came to to want right. to play that card that card in their deck. But it's just people are leaning way more towards the Carnage Tyrant side of things, and that's really good yeah. for Mono White. Yeah, when you're trying to be Carnage Tyrants, it's not very good against, <laughs> you know, the Dante Vanguard. Oh, yeah, <laughs> exactly, right. So, yeah, and honestly, I really felt like I um, saw a lot of that come up in a lot of my green-black matches, mm-hmm. where I was just able to run them over game one, because their deck was really clunky, 
And then post-board, I had a really good plan. I had four honor guards, three Ajani's to recur the honor guards. And yeah. I just made sure that I tried to, my best to keep an honor guard in play the whole time. And if that was true, then I could outvalue them for the most part right. in the post-board matches. Really trying to do my best to bait out all of their assassins trophies and removal spells. And then slamming a experimental frenzy in the post-board games was, was really clutch. Um, just making sure that that was like the last card that I played out and then they are on their last card or something and it's not a removal spell for my thing, so I just get to win that game. Mm-hmm. A lot of these angles that I saw, these like ways that the game's played out that were really beneficial for me post-board, I was like, all right, let's do it. So that's what I played. I went 6-2 in both formats, 6-2'd with KCI. I bet I could do better next time with KCI, so I'm looking forward to the next tournaments yeah, now that totally. I get <laughs> back in the groove. When you're telling the story of, I, I didn't have time to prepare for... You know, leading up to weeks, so I have to play mono white because I knew the deck well. But in modern, <laughs> but I played in, KCI. In modern, <laughs> I I did play KCI. I did have some reps with KCI, but yeah, I definitely was. I think punished in the early early on in the tournament for my inexperience with KCI. Absolutely. So, yep. but I I just believe that it was an inherently broken deck. So I'm 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 happy that I was able to pull the trigger despite not practicing as much. Yeah. I, I definitely felt myself improving with the the Phoenix deck over the course of the weekend. Um, like, I was not particularly happy with my play in the early rounds on Saturday, and then by the end of the day, I was I was seeing lines. This deck creates stories, too, by the way. Which, which one? The, the, the Phoenix, the Phoenix, Phoenix deck? deck? Oh, yeah, I'm yeah. sure. I mean, I, I told you guys this this story at dinner, uh, but I had one match... Well, so, so I had one match against humans where I missed my third land drop, and my opponent played Athalia, and then I missed my third land drop again. But that meant that I had a lot of spells in my hand, including a lot of phoenixes. So when I finally got the Thalia off of the board and was able to flip a thing in the ice, uh, and it wasn't enough for me to be able to start attacking, except for like get that get in with that thing in the ice yeah, and get yeah, in yeah. with the phoenixes once. But then at some point, that game devolved into a point where I was just getting back four phoenixes a turn. <laughs> <laughs> well, goodness. Uh, and that is really hard for humans to attack into. I, absolutely, I believe it. Um, my opponent had like a turn one champion of the parish that just never died. And it was a 10-10 at the end of the game. I'll block it with phoenix. But, right, so yeah. either he could attack with just the 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 giant I, I guess it was a nine nine so he didn't have good attacks either he could attack with just the champion and it would just get traded for or you could attack with the champion and a bunch of meddling mages sitting there on my on my important cards <laughs> yeah. and then i could really chump the champion and kill all of his meddling mages so it just didn't yeah. line up very well for him at that point that's incredible um, so you're just playing this Drago game against humans and they're uh, just drawing creatures they're drawing spells right exactly and at some point i get to flip a thing in the ice put all of my phoenixes back into play attack game. for infinite damage yeah, game. that was well, it was two rounds before a game it had against tron a 30 minute game one where <laughs> which is probably partially my fault i probably should have been speeding my opponent up a little bit more but this is one where i it also ended up with four phoenixes coming back multiple turns i had to encourage my opponent to crack his relic early on and then i i Vendelian clicked my opponent and saw like two worm coil engines and uh, some I think an Ulamog in his hand. I had to get rid of the Ulamog, fight through the the worm coil engines by trading a thing in the ice for one, and then trading phoenixes for the front half of the other, and then for all the tokens. <laughs> uh, at one point, he cast a world breaker. And I flipped a thing to bounce it and my Vendillion click back to my hand so that I could Vendillion click his World Breaker because I couldn't <laughs> couldn't quite beat it. And then I, I like we just played like this weird Drago game 
not not really a Drago, but just like I had to keep getting back Phoenixes and get them O stoned. just really trying to fight for all these o-stones and like i couldn't justify bringing back the phoenixes into his o-stone until he like played out a karn and then Mm. killed the thing so then i forced him to o-stone his karn so it was like this really sweet game that culminated in he cast an ulamog take me off of two of my red sources so i only had two red sources left had no fetchable lands left in my library because my library was about 10 cards at that point (laughs) uh my my like forced play was Noxious Revival, put Opt on top of my library, cast a Bedlam Reveler, draw the Opt and two fetch lands. Opt, put Faithless Looting on the bottom because it costs red mana and oh, I no. had none. Have it. Flip Gutshot, Gutshot you, attack for 12. So <laughs> this, this deck creates stories and it's extremely fun to play. And those, games, awesome. those games are hard. Too. Yeah, yeah. Really I mean, hard. that takes a lot of piloting. Absolutely. That's awesome. Um, and I'm sure that I missed some of those really good things that I could have done in earlier rounds. And then in later rounds, I was like, I, I was aiming for that several turns in advance. Right. Um, and so that, that felt good to feel that level of improvement over the course of the tournament. Awesome. Well, should we uh, should we talk about the the winter storm? Is, is, yeah. that, is that is that next up on our, our docket? Yeah. So our <laughs> like our side of this was the night you know saturday nights we weren't even really thinking we knew it was going to snow right mm-hmm. we didn't really think it was going to super affect us necessarily i i also i mean you know i kind of had the like the idea in the back of my head of like oh it's oh, planning on snowing yeah. and that could be annoying but yeah we're gonna go play magic right yeah yeah I'll, but I'll instead <laughs> like, like, yeah. like, like like saturday night at like like 10 p.m i was thinking like Man, guys, should I play standard or modern tomorrow? Right. What are yeah, we yeah, doing? yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that was the big discussion. Which of these formats? Yeah, that Me- tournament. Meanwhile, people are also in the house saying, "Huh, we kind of want to dodge the snow. Maybe we should just leave tonight." Right. So we, we had a portion of the house, but yeah, just leave that night. And yeah. I, I had to stay with Chris and them because mm-hmm. my car wanted to leave too. I'm like, Fair well, I'm, I'm in this queue drop now. So right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I will say, leaving not the right play. Everybody who left got stuck. Yeah. <laughs> had to stay at a hotel. So yeah, pretty crazy. We had to at the Lotus Box House. We had a big party Saturday night. The Lotus Box House in Kentucky. In Kentucky, <laughs> uh, it was forty minutes away from the convention center. Not ideal. So, uh, so a lot of people weren't able to make it, and that's completely understandable. But we did have a lot of people show up, and it was it was phenomenal. But essentially, uh, the reason I'm bringing that up is because the consequence of that was that we had a couple people stay the night at the at the Lotus Box House. Mm-hmm. And I woke up the next morning, and I looked out the window, and it was just non-functional. It was, you know, 17 inches of snow had fallen the night before, and I was like, yeah, well, we're not going to be able to leave here. Because the thing about this Lotus Box house was that it's this cabin that's just out in the middle of, you know, the mountains. Right. Right? So we're pretty far away from any, like, main roads or anything. Everything's, like, windy mountain roads to get up there. So every Teeley, Jeremy, and I think Kazu tried to like get to the convention center that morning but they made it maybe you know a tenth of a mile before they had to they ended up in a ditch and weren't, weren't able to get any further so they walked back and let everybody else in the house know that the roads were not functional we were stuck in this house and it's it's like there's like 12 of us in this house and there's no food Oh really? <laughs> and and so we're th- trying to think about all right, what are we gonna do? We got to figure something out, right? Because we, you know, I'm I'm thinking about just the logistics of what this looks like. There's 12 people stuck in a house. We're gonna need to survive for a day or so. 
let's we need to create an expedition to get some food. We were we were joking about which one of the Lotus Box members yeah. is most edible. Oh well, yeah, no, but 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 literally we had to we had to go and find some food. So um, so I was like, all right, we I'm gonna get a three of the other guys and we're gonna set out on an expedition. We figured out that a half a mile away, or sorry. Like one and a half miles away was a this like general convenience store. There was also rumors of a gas station that was half a mile away, but it wasn't on the GPS at all. Ooh, rumors. Honestly, that's what it felt like because yeah, people yeah. were like, "Yeah, there's one like across the bridge and it's half a mile away," and uh, and I believed them, but it just wasn't on the GPS at all, so we couldn't find it. So we we so I took myself, Dylan Donegan, Jeremy, and. Uh, our new friend Michael Olson, who got stuck with us at the party, um, <laughs> uh, and he was great. So it was awesome. We it was it was a good time. Yeah, that morning the four of us set out to start walking a mile and a half to the uh, to this general store, and you know, and along the way we pass Tilly's car, and Jeremy's <laughs> like, "Yep, that's where that's how far we made it." You know? <laughs> so uh, it's like the wreckage of a star. No, yeah, honestly, it was, it was crazy. It was crazy. Know, look, it's just white everywhere yeah. when you're walking through this. <laughs> yeah, and right, and the snow was pretty extreme, and you know, and we get maybe like a quarter of a mile out, and uh, this car passes us, and we flag it down. Um, and we're like, hey, is there any chance that we can, you know, get a ride to the general store if you guys are, you know, out and about on the road? And they're like, sure, hop in. And when I had this conversation with the people driving, uh, I didn't know that there were also two people in the back seat. So it's this hatchback car, right? <laughs> Perfect <laughs> snow driving car. Right, of course. Uh, and there, there's a mom in the driver's seat, and the mom's mom, so the grandma, mm-hmm. is in the passenger seat, and in the back seat is the daughter of the mom and the daughter's boyfriend. So they're on some expedition to go, I think, drop the boyfriend off somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like, yeah, hop in. And there's four of us. <laughs> so the only seat that's available is the one extra back seat. And then there's the trunk. Right. <laughs> so we're like, okay. So Dylan, Jeremy, and I pile into the trunk of this hatchback. <laughs> uh-huh. and, and Michael gets into the passenger seat. And we're like, all right, let's go. Uh, and we did it, and we drove, and they drove us out to the general store, and 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 us driving there honestly was a trip because uh, the the grandma kept on saying to the mom these like slightly disturbing things from uh, from our perspective because she kept on saying, well, you know, if the uh, if the um, if the tires start locking up, you better use the gas, not the brakes. And and the mom was like, oh, okay, and we're all just like, these are the people that we put our lives in the hands of. Um, and we get to the general store, and it's closed. Yeah, perfect. And of course. Of course. But it, it, but that made me really, really happy that we were able to get this ride. Because if we had walked a mile and a half out to this general store and then it was closed, that would have been a nightmare. Yeah. Because it's still the snow is still coming down at this point. Right, right, right. Right. We we ended up at the convention center because we had to because Lee was in the top the the queue. Right. Draft. Yeah. You had to get there. So we got there, <laughs> yeah. and then when we came out a couple of hours later, my car was just buried. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> We, um, we had to actually ask the uh, the tractor, the, someone who's who's on using the plow on the convention center to come out to Chris's car and right. plow them a path. <laughs> yeah. So thankfully, the these locals were knew where the gas station was that we were looking for that was only half a mile away, mm-hmm. and they were such sweethearts, and they drove us to uh, the gas station and dropped dropped us off there, um, and we were able to make it. We were able to get a bunch of food at the gas station and make it back from there to our place. Pretty much no problem. It was, nice. you know, it was like a 10-minute walk from there once we were able to get there. 
but yeah, that that expedition was <laughs> something else, and it was just you know, and we got back to this to the to this uh, to the house essentially, and we're all victorious. And we have all this food, and we're like, we can have lunch now. Um, and know. then once you have food, you're just right. snowed into a house with a bunch of your friends and a right. bunch of magic yeah. cards. Yeah. And so. then and then JJ and Zan woke up, and, and <laughs> <laughs> so so we get back and we're like, yeah. Zan, JJ. We, we've got food and everything we're snowed in but you know what don't worry about it too much <laughs> we had it handled <laughs> and we're all like you know <laughs> freezing <laughs> freezing and it was crazy but yeah honestly we were able to make make do and staying at the Lotus Box house ended up working out really well the next morning we were able to dig our cars out and, and make it out on the main roads and go home but yeah, it was an experience for sure. Yeah. Uh, so that's what our Sunday looked like. <laughs> uh, we we were not able to make it to the convention center, but we were we did hear about the drama about Austin Collins trying to get to the convention yeah. center because in the morning it looked like he just wasn't going to be able to make it, and he was trying to talk to the the tournament organizers, and they said, "Look, there's just not much that you can we can do about this." And but he was able to eventually get to the tournament hall and and play in the top eight of the Invitational. Yeah, I think someone <laughs> ventured out and gave him a ride. Is what it I think so. Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I w- I wish I knew who it was because um, that was you know that was definitely huge for him. So what a yeah. If one of you guys were in the top eight, like, yeah, that that, that we would have been screwed. Yeah, yeah, honestly, if anybody in the Lotus Box house was in the top eight, it was non-functional. We were not able to get off of that mountain. Yeah. Zan was even in the. Semifinals of the Saturday Cube qualifier in mm-hmm. standards. If right. we would have won, we would just been also short a Cube member. Yeah, yeah. So, did everybody make it to the Cube? Everyone made it. To and the did cube. everybody make it? Everybody made it to the top everyone eight of the invitation. The That's right. re- honestly really impressive. It's pretty lucky, actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was funny, like when we got there and we were able to hang out because we were Lee's ride, and so there was just like a group of Magic players who were there because they were friends with, they were with the people in the, the Envy Top 8 or with the people who were in the Cube Top 8. Yeah. And so we just had like a very small like refugee camp of Magic players, <laughs> like eating pizza and playing UMA. And... Right, right, right. Yeah. So yeah, what happened when Sunday, right? Yeah. We, we get to the convention center and it's... You know, snow and a lot. So we like, didn't okay, know we, that we have to would, figure that out. everything was canceled. Yeah, we didn't know at all. But like we we just went because we were like time to go play yeah, magic. Yeah. And Chris was really excited because he, he was trying to decide between standard and modern. So, <laughs> Still so. in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, "Oh man, there's gonna be no one here. We're gonna crush this tournament." <laughs> you you right were right, Chris. There was nobody there. <laughs> what if there were like ten people? I would <laughs> easily top eight in that tournament. <laughs> so oh. we get up to the door, and the person at the door just tries to turn us all away. Like uh, everything's canceled. Mm-hmm. I'm like, uh, I'm in the I'm in the cube draft. I'm in a ten thousand dollar eight man. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, like you're in the it. top eight because I don't think the person at the door understood the difference. Uh, there were like multiple top eights. Yeah, they didn't fine. understand. It's fine. Uh, so I said, yes, I'm in the top eight. Okay, that's fine. You can go. And I think they just wanted me to leave all the people who I could leave with. Well, that's not gonna happen. <laughs> so right. I'm like, yeah. oh, I need these people. They're yeah, yeah. right. They're like, okay, you can come in too. Yeah. Yeah. And so we go over there, and Jared's trying to figure out, because not everyone's there yet. I think by the time we got there, there was me and Mark in the cube, mm-hmm. and the, we were the only people in the cube, and there were four people for the top eight of the Invitational. Uh, and they were looking for everyone else. Like, mm-hmm. I had to give Jared my phone number so that... Yeah. Because uh, we were, we wanted to go out and get food after, mm-hmm. 
you know, because we were waiting on people. The cube draft actually wasn't supposed to start until 5 p.m. Oh, no, really? Wow. <laughs> yeah. So that that clearly wasn't going to happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what what they ended up wanting to do was they said, uh, "We're going to have the invitational start." Yeah. And then as soon as the invitational was done, we're just going to start the cube. Okay. And that didn't end up happening. They actually just started it kind of concurrent, just because they wanted to, you know, get out of there. Yeah. Yeah. Get yeah. Out, yeah. Before get it out. got dark. We went and got McDonald's with some of the the refugees <laughs> that were in the convention center. Because yeah, uh, it was just across the hall from the convention center, or not the hall, the uh, the road. Yeah, so we could yeah. just walk there and walk back. Yeah, yeah, uh, That McDonald's immediately closed after we left. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, what a weekend. Yeah, uh, yeah definitely. Really, really crazy. They, they uh, on, on Sunday, they, the Star City crew got us pizza for everyone in the convention center. Just so that no one would have to go out and eat because they didn't want people from the invitation of the cube just leaving and trying to figure out where to get food and how to get back. They, so they just got a bunch of pizza for everyone, laid it all out. Uh, anyone who was still in the convention center, like all 50 of us or whatever, could just get some pizza. <clears throat> so that was cool. Yeah. yeah. It was pretty brutal for them as organizers, though, to lose a whole day from this this yeah. weekend like all the vendors are not making money like they're they're not having they're not making the money off of the side events or the the artists weren't there yeah. either yeah so pretty rough because this was you know this is a big thing that everybody was really looking forward to and yeah you know the, a full weekend day of it just didn't happen yeah like the the tournaments on sunday i believe were scheduled to be like 5ks or something like they the, were pretty big tournaments they were not only like they were 5ks to the top eight plus ticks down to top yeah, 32 right. so you know they were good tournaments that I was really, mm-hmm. like high value tournaments yeah I was still looking, looking forward, forward to, to it Sunday morning I yeah. remember yeah. <laughs> yeah but couldn't happen unfortunate but obviously nobody's nobody's fault it was yeah. not safe to be driving like get, trying to get to the convention center we we had to dig Wit's car out because we Wit had parked on the the road because by the time Wit got there you couldn't see the parking lot like, you couldn't <laughs> figure out where it was right. everything was just white yeah so you just parked on the side of the road and that's where the convention center people were plowing all the snow mm-hmm. like on the road, so yeah. it got blocked in oh, by no. the snow plows. Oh no! So we had to flag down more snow plows. Oh, to get them out of there! <laughs> to get them out, we had to get some shovels and yeah, shovel yeah. the snow out from the tires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was this process. Chris comes out, you know, already having been plowed. <laughs> Guys, what's, what's the holdup? Yeah. <laughs> okay, what's what's the problem? I'm ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> Phenomenal! Wow. Uh, let's see what else. So. You know, you are you were there for Cat's deck disappearing. Oof, that sounds absolutely brutal. Yeah. So it's Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've just discovered that we can leave yep. because we've successfully managed to figure out that the main roads are clear, mm-hmm. and and we've successfully dug strips in the roads that we need to to so get Monday to the main morning roads, then, right? Yes, it is Monday, okay. Monday morning. Monday morning. Monday morning. The whole yeah, the days were so strange because it started on Saturday or it started, it started on, on Friday. Friday. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I and can then even the get snow it. throws everything off. Yeah. yeah. So so everybody everybody's excited to be able to leave because I'll tell you what you know twelve people stuck in a house it's for for even a minute longer than they anticipated turns into a sitcom immediately. <laughs> um, but anyways, uh, yeah. So so everybody's packing up right and and. Cat starts looking for a deck because some I think that either she or some other people were pl- using it at the party to play some pickup games, mm-hmm. and uh, that's I think the last she'd seen it. So she was kind of like down in the main area looking around for a deck, and she couldn't find it. Um, and that kind of the concern grew and grew as we were unable to find this deck. 
because it's Cat Spirit's deck. Right. It's you know she's been playing for a long. She's time. been playing playing that deck for forever. She's one of the one of the pioneers of the archetype essentially, and she's put a lot of effort into making this deck hers. So she was starting to get really concerned, and we can find it, and you know we just tore up the house essentially. Everybody in the house was looking for it. I even got just for the sake of completeness, uh, everybody to buddy up with somebody that they don't live particularly close to and check each other's stuff, just because there was you know paranoia, mm-hmm. and we, I just wanted to eliminate that sitcom situation. Yeah. So so after after the dust settled, we determined that Cat's deck was not in the house or anybody's possession, so it was lost. Uh, and that was devastating for Cat, for sure. But, you know, everybody was definitely really bummed that, you know, it just couldn't, we couldn't find it. Um, and we turned over every nook and cranny of that house, so it just wasn't there. And that was a real bummer. And, you know, Cat had to leave to go home without her deck. But something after that really, really spectacular happened, which was Cat posted on Twitter that she was searching for her spirit deck. And the community really rallied behind that and came together. And somebody created for Cat a spreadsheet listing out all the cards that she would need to rebuild her deck. And before we got home, which was like the three-hour drive, Mm -hmm. the community had gotten together, I think, a foil copy of every card in the deck... And then Kat requested that everybody who... Because Kat was blown away that this was happening. Sure. Kat requested that everybody who was sending her cards sign the cards that they were sending her. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we, it was really phenomenal to see the community come together and help replace this item that was lost from to Kat. Yeah, I was not able to sign up for a card on right. the spreadsheet because they were all taken by the time yeah, I it was, realized it was, what was going It blew on. my mind to, by, to by the witness. Time we, yeah, woke, yeah. we woke up on Monday and by the time we actually made it home, uh, I had... When we got home, I discovered that Cat's deck had gone missing, and also that it had just been completed. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. It was. It was. It was something else. So yeah, I mean, if if you were somebody who donated to Cat's new deck, then you know, I just want you to know that uh, not only Cat but everybody from Lotus Box is really, really grateful for for that. Just show of, show of appreciation. It was. It, it meant the world to Cat and. And you'll know that if you watched her latest video of her expressing that on, on, Twitter. on Twitter. It was it was really something something heartwarming to watch happen. So Yeah, yeah pretty so incredible. Yeah. I mean, it sucks that like 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 it's wonderful the 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 end result, but it sucks like what led up to that. Having a deck stolen is real I've had a deck stolen before and yeah. it, it's awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we don't know what happened to it. We, you know, we can only speculate. But yeah. I mean, it was it was definitely a, a very emotional experience that that added a lot of weight to that Monday morning when everybody was trying to leave from the Lowest Box house. Was that that was you know everybody was excited to be able to leave, but then all of a sudden <laughs> time time froze. Yeah. You know, so right. the only one thing matters. <laughs> right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So to have that resolved in a in a in a in a good way was and so fast too. meant meant a lot to everybody involved. So yeah, yeah, pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just like the power of magic, social media and, and community. Yeah, I guess. yeah, really impressive. Absolutely. So, so yeah. I mean, that's that's that story, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any more invitational stories? Because at some point, I, I think we we have to talk about the the pro tour changes. One of the other textures of the weekend, absolutely, yeah. was yeah. A, a pretty large announcement made by. You know the pro tour people. Yeah, right, right as everyone was traveling up to the end. Of the <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. So a lot of people I talked to, including myself, 
for the the first part of the week and didn't even know exactly what the announcement was. Right. Yeah, because yeah. it was made Thursday, like night, night. like okay. like eight, like nine o'clock at night. So I, I guess I'll give a summary of the yeah, changes yeah. and then we can because I know you were talking to people about it all weekend and we were chatting about it. Yeah, so. for sure. But yeah, for those who aren't particularly informed, probably good to go over yeah. what's going on essentially. So this is kind of a complete revamp of the Pro Tour system. Uh, so they are number one, no longer called Pro Tours. Uh, we are going to be getting ten Mythic Championships a year. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Four of them are going to be paper and six of them are going to be on arena. Um, they have increased the total prize purse to be $10 million over the course of the year. And that's, I think, supposed to be split half between paper and half arena. Do you know if that is all for the Mythic Championships or does it include the Magic Fest? See, I don't know. And I th- I think, I-, I believe that's all for the Mythic Championships. Th- that's I- what I, I thought believe as well. That- that's my impression, but I don't know that we know any of that like for certain. But it's not really an increase from the prize purse from last year if it counts all the GP prizes, too. Right. So, mm-hmm. Well, we'll see. But they're getting rid of a lot of stuff um, with this new system. So, number one, there's no more travel awards, which was kind of a hidden prizing structure a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that this is very smart from a marketing standpoint because this allows them to say there's $10 million of prizing on the Pro Tour instead of saying there's you know, this amount of money and then just a whole huge amount of money tied up in travel awards. But maybe it isn't so great that these players aren't getting their travel awards anymore. And we're getting rid of the pro point and uh, uh, the the pro system, essentially. Mm-hmm. The At the end of 2019, all the, you know, pro points are going to expire and go away. Um, pro points are locked at I think GP Seattle in June and that's sort of getting replaced by what's called the Magic Pro League so the so there's going to be 32 players in the Magic Pro League who sign a professional contract that includes streaming and appearances and that sort of thing and they're actually going to be getting paid $75,000 a year from what it sounds from the announcement too these players have already been selected it's just not been announced who they are right or what the criteria was. criteria right. was. And, <laughs> and we're so in the dark yeah <laughs> because i believe somewhere in the announcement it said that these top 32 players had signed or know the benefits of some contracts or something like that to that effect so the, the top 32 is already whoever they are they know who they are right we just don't know who we they just are don't know. yeah and and so yeah like that that really leads into kind of the big thing here is that again like this is a huge announcement once again though it is a, a fucking half announcement (laughs) more details to come in the future yeah there's just absolutely always more details to come and we never know what's going on we don't know how to qualify for these things we still don't we don't know the new pp the new ptq system we don't know if grand prix number one we don't know if grand prix qualify for the pro tours at all we like i assume that top eighting one is still gonna the mythic championship qualify right gonna qualify you for a mythic championship uh top eighting a grand prix at a magic fest will qualify you for a (laughs) championship but with getting rid of pro points you know if you're already qualified for a pro tour or for a mythic championship or two is it worth is there any reason to play in gps uh we don't we don't really know what that system is going to be like. Also, if you're qualified for a Mythic Championship off of a GP, can you defer that to an Arena Mythic Championship? Mm-hmm. Like, is that a thing you can do? Right. And how are we qualifying through Arena? What's the, you know, the the ranking and ladder system in Arena 
literally doesn't work right now. Yeah, I think they're putting it in either this or next week or something like that. Right. And we haven't gotten announcements on that either. Yeah, so we don't know how that works. So a lot of questions, and I think we saw on Twitter a lot of pros being very concerned. Because on the surface, just saying, hey, we're going to have $10 million in esports prizes for Magic the Gathering. Mm-hmm. That sounds incredible. And but it's inaccessible like to everyone yeah, right. who's not in the top 32. Um, well, one thing is, I believe the the Magic Pro League, the top thirty two thing, that's going to be, I think, a weekly show, kind of like an esports show, okay. like E League exists for CS:GO or Street Fighter. Okay. Yeah, they yeah, do yeah. like a weekly show. They have it's kind of high production value for E League, is at least. I don't know how Magic Pro League is going to work. Yeah. Okay. Oh, oh, and 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 like Overwatch League and stuff. Right. Like that. Okay. Very similar, like a weekly kind of tournament structure where they just try to probably showcase arena is what i imagine they'll do yeah and have the top 32 players play all the time every week yeah i mean honestly in terms of turning this if 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 the objective is to turn this into a spectator sport i think this is a really really good step in the right direction and i think making a significant portion of pro tours slash mythic championships on arena Mm -hmm. i think is something that they had to do yeah the viewing experience on arena is tremendously better than the viewing experience for paper especially with that plugin that lets you hover over and read the cards um on twitch yeah 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 it's it's just worlds and worlds more advanced and worlds more watchable yeah so yeah so so there's there's great things and there's exciting things around here and i think this is a great like kind of immediate response to the community freaking out about that open letter to to jerry and cedric What was that? So, so there was an open letter written to to Jerry T and Cedric and the Pro Magic community that basically made the argument that you know Wizards spent a bunch of time catering to pro players, and then sometime around like 2008 decided that they were going to start catering to casual players, and then they saw the growth of Magic explode after that. Mm-hmm. A lot of people were reposting it. I think a lot of people. I think it's very easy to buy into arguments made in a very well-written and organized fashion. It was incredibly well-written. It, was, it had it, a bunch of article links yeah. to various things. Well, the guy was an English professor. He right. just knows how to deliver information and, yep. in, you know, so I, I think it was and well... Yeah. I think it was very well-argued, but I think a lot of the assumptions that it was based on were, were false assumptions, and so I'm not... So I, I think it got a lot more attention than maybe it should have if people were more analytical about it. Um, and I, I don't think it's worth breaking down the letter now because this announcement clearly shows that Wizards has a focus on professional play and wants to showcase high-level play. Maybe not in a way that maintains the pro system in a way that we've come to understand it, right. but certainly in a way that they want to present the game's best players Mm-hmm. to the public at large and say yeah. here is how you play magic right. i think that this change is overall a good thing i think that giving the people who are really entrenched in playing competitive professional magic as a living mm-hmm. giving them the opportunity to to get into this top 32 and and actually make a real living off of yeah. playing professional magic i think that's really good and that's i think what people are asking for and and if this is the system that creates that and it's only 32 players that they can support, then, you know, so be it. I I would assume that they ran the numbers or whatever, and that's, like, that's how many people that they believed was the best number. The players who are really affected by this in a negative way are all of the gold and silver pros yep. who were grinding towards Pro Tours and, and really trying in to make future. that 
part of their livelihood or whatever. And they are kind of getting in the short end of the stick because the system that they are utilizing is going to no longer exist. Yep. And it's really unclear what the path is right. towards becoming part of that top 32. And it's yeah. really unclear what the path is towards, you know, staying. How do you, is there any way to be a pro to a regular yeah. except for being in that top 32? It's mm-hmm. kind of sounding like there is no way for right. that to happen. Yeah. And, you know, that's definitely going to be disappointing for a lot of people, especially if that's the the if they fit into that category of people who are really heavily impacted by this. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm, I'm going to remain optimistic about this. I do believe that this whole system needed some sort of radical change Agreed, yeah. like this. Um, and I think that I, you know, I definitely heard a lot of smart people throwing around the idea of really shrinking down the, the, the pool of players who play in these competitive tournaments, just because that's really the only way that you can expect to turn it into a spectator sport right? right so so i do you know i do i am glad that they are willing to try this stuff out and i i am going to remain optimistic about you know what ends up happening out of all of this i think that it could turn into something really awesome but yeah it is it is continuing to be frustrating to have an announcement like this and just be in the dark so much i i think marketing for the pro tour is going to change a lot mm-hmm. as well because i think one of the main complaints a lot of people had especially comparing to the SCG tour was that Wizards of the Coast wasn't very player focused in the uh, mm-hmm. coverage of the Pro Tour. Absolutely. Uh, but with this one, with such a smaller pool, they're going to be focusing on these 32 players day yeah, in, yeah, yeah. day out. Right. And we're not going to see, we might like, I think what they do right now is they put the ranking of the players in the feature match and they have the hall of fame. But one thing that's happening again is the hall of fame. It's not, we don't know what's going to happen in the hall of fame. Uh, yeah, what was the gonna... quote? It was, it's not going to exist as anybody has seen it before. <laughs> and it's specifically not going to qualify the previous Hall of Fame members yeah, for, all, yeah, of, for yeah. all the Mythic Championships. Right, yeah, right. Of course not. Like, this this season is the last time, I believe, that people will be voted into the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. And then, who knows what will happen to it sure. then. Right. And we've, we've talked about this before. When we talked about the Hall of Fame vote before, I think we both argued that, like... It's not sustainable. But yeah, the way that it yeah. existed to qualify was, for every yeah, it was tour. just not non you know, especially because we were so aggressively voting in so many people every time, and it was also just everyone's least favorite time of the year. Oh, it's yeah. all fame voting season, right? Yeah. And that means that we're just going to be trash talk, and yeah, it's, it's just going to get nasty every time. So yeah, yep, yeah, like like quiet reserve Seth Menfield now gets like all these slow play allegations, right? Right? right yeah. Right. What 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 is the purpose of this really? Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, one of the things that I'm really concerned about, and I, we won't know until we see how they've built the system. How do you get into the top 32 if you're not in the top 32 initially? If there's no way to, like, chain qualifications for these Mythic Championships besides, like, doing the equivalent of, like, X4ing every single one, yeah. then it's going to be impossible to get to to get ahead of somebody who just is qualified for every single right, one of yeah. them what what i an idea that i threw around when i initially heard a concept similar to this mm-hmm. was that you could have the top 32 players but then at, like have a ranking system throughout the year mm-hmm. and then the lowest me- like ranking members like maybe you know you pick however many slots bottom six or whatever bottom six or whatever they would no longer be qualified, and then there would be some set of qualifiers, some, mm. like, major tournaments, I guess, where the winners would potentially... Interesting. Um, like, it could be either winners of tournaments, or it could be 
point leaders in whatever system that they create yeah. that would fill in those next slots so, so that you could have this like kind of like semi-rotating system but um have the 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 big named players that we all know and love mm-hmm. like i would love to see like reduke stay on there for multiple seasons right right so you know that could be an option or it could just always be like the top 32 of this running leaderboard where there's just a set time where it's cut off and then that's going to be the top 32 for the remaining year gotcha. but then the the running leaderboard is going to exist continually right and in, there needs to be some way to make that running leaderboard not unduly favor the people yeah, exactly. who are already right, in right, that top right, 32 right. for sure so it'll be it'll be interesting to see what they announce um i really hope that whatever system that they they've created is some sort of dynamic thoughtful thing yeah. but we'll see we'll see and i'm i'm sure it'll have problems they, they yeah. always do of course I, I, I don't expect it to be perfect yeah i'm i'm sure they'll be able to try and fix it yeah do you do we know when the next set of announcements is? is it like starting next year. <laughs> Sorry, it's got to happen at some point, like s- s- around when this PPTQ season ends, right? Right, right. Yeah. We can make logical guesses based on like events or whatever, but but they haven't announced when they're announcing their next announcement. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I believe that to be true, and it's frustrating because yeah. you kn- it's easy to tell that a lot of this stuff has been developed very recently mm-hmm. because right. the announcement about six pro tours next year yeah was made in like august of right. this year right yeah i actually think it was made in like september or october Got it. it was very it, very it was pretty recent because I, yeah. I think we talked about it physically here in your apartment which was, <laughs> right, it was right. after i got back from germany right 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 so yeah. for some reason in my head i was like they made that announcement like six months ago right and it was not six months maybe ago. three months ago yeah like maybe three months ago we were gonna have six pro tours next yeah. year and now we have four and we are completely changing the now they're not even pro tours so like when how much time has gone into planning this feels like not a lot yeah i mean i would hope that some of the actions of you know jerry thompson and the you know the vocal people who are speaking Mm -hmm. out about their thoughts on the process i i imagine that that did have an impact on the decision making process and and made them change the direction that they were going in so you know, if they think that this is the correct solution to, to those issues that were addressed, yep. this, I can see that. Yeah. This also feels like something that they really wanted to do with Arena, like mm-hmm. from the start of the program. Sure. But, you know, Arena's still in beta. They're like taking it a little slow, trying to add features to it. Yeah. And then everyone loved it. Yes. Arena. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. They yeah. loved it. Mm-hmm. So maybe they wanted to like push it through a little earlier, get people yeah. more excited for Potentially. Arena. Right. Yeah. Ride that, ride that wave. Right. Absolutely. Um, one thing that I hope we avoid I, I just remember a couple of years ago when competitive hearthstone was you know kind of new mm-hmm. uh and i remember watching some coverage one weekend and uh, amaz won a tournament and he had won a tournament the weekend before and mm-hmm. one of the commentators w- was like man amaz winning two tournaments in a row how does he do it and i'm sitting there like there's 16 people in each of these tournaments. <laughs> yeah. These are invite-only tournaments. Yeah, like, yeah. it's not that hard to win two 16-man tournaments right. in a row. Yeah. Um, and I really want us to avoid getting to a place. Like, when Matt Nass wins two GPs <laughs> with KCI, like, that is that is an accomplishment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Run through multiple hundreds of people. Right, right. Win that one. Thousands. And has just broken the format in half and is crushing everyone. Like, yeah. that's super cool. Winning right. two 16-mans against good players, but two yeah. 16-man tournaments right. is not... Like, that, that's not what I want to see. 
the the invite only tournaments can get a little stale too mm-hmm. uh if you're seeing the same 32 players over and over and over again yeah you might not have these people breaking through to being the next you know right reduke watching andrew ellenbogen win a pro tour when oh, we've yeah. like seen him on star, on right. star city tournaments yeah like, yeah like, my, my buddy andrew ellenbogen exactly you know what I mean? <laughs> like that has to be able to happen right i know everybody wanted to see lsv win that but mm. like this was really cool too yeah I don't. I just don't want the system to be where that Andrew Allen Bogan just doesn't even get a chance to play in that top eight right. because he just wasn't invited. Right. Didn't quite make it. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I do believe that they're creating a system that it's going to definitely make it harder for those new named players to show mm-hmm. up and stuff. But if there is that, you know, element of like a rotating bottom, el- you know, element mm-hmm. of the top 32 or some way of new people breaking into it. Yep. I still think that that can exist, but it definitely will be much harder for anybody new to like win one of these new quote unquote pro tours or whatever sure. they call them. Mythic championships. Mythic championships. <laughs> I got to say that... As somebody who has been watching Pro Tour coverage for 15 years, yeah. uh, them not being called Pro Tours anymore, definitely. Yeah, I had, yeah. A, I had a joke with a few people I was talking to at the Invitational where we'd say, well, the Mythic Championship, oh, you qualify it through the Rare Championship. <laughs> right, yeah, 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 yeah. Uncommon Championship. <laughs> yeah. Man, I'm really excited to play in all these common championships in my, in my local <laughs> store. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So. That might be it. That could even be what it actually <laughs> is. We just don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, oh, man. Yeah. So, you know, we yeah. will talk about it more when we yeah. have more that's, information. That's, that's our thoughts so far. So, yeah. Yeah. So we got. Until the next announcement. Right. Yeah. Well, that's it for that, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm good. I'm good on that topic. We I could think. wildly speculate more. But <laughs> right, right, yeah. Anyone can wildly speculate. <laughs> right. All right, so for our Patreon question of the week, this one comes from WYoder05, maybe how you pronounce that? Mm-hmm. WYoder05? They ask, as someone who's getting back into the standard game after a long leave, should I be watching more modern to judge the power level of things? If not just for a yardstick to judge standard interactions. It always seems like justifications for playing certain cards rely on historical precedents. Sometimes I see strong interactions and don't know how to judge their power levels. But how do you relate power in modern into potency in standard? So I think there are a lot of facets to this question. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it depends on the perspective of um, the person asking this question. Uh, Are they somebody who's new to magic in general and is just curious now that they've entered into standard specifically what the power level of this format is relative to the older ones? Mm -hmm. Or are they somebody who plays more of a different format and is just now getting back into standard after playing a ton of something else? Yep. It sounds to me like they're newer to Magic in general, but I could be wrong about that. And because they're asking if they want to watch more modern to be able to judge the power level of things. My advice is that while it is useful to have that reference, especially in terms of being able to evaluate the power level of individual cards... Evaluating power level of individual cards is pretty difficult, and I think that we all take that skill that we all have developed uh, for granted a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Be- and but the specific knowledge that gives us that ability to judge the power level of these cards is our experience, right? It's like, wow, I know that this card is so good that it's played in Legacy is something that we can think, right? Yeah. But a person who's not familiar with modern or Legacy cards, they're they're just not going to get that. So having a broader understanding of magic in general is definitely a useful tool 
to use in order to help with your evaluations of specific cards. But I do want to say that it, my advice for a player who's new to just magic in general and is looking at standard and kind of hearing about modern and legacy and comparing the differences, mm-hmm. if you're if you're at that level, I would recommend that you don't really worry about it too much. And here's why. The context of each format is very important to be thinking about when considering the power level of certain cards. Yep. So, for example, Gurmag Angler mm-hmm. is, in Legacy is broken. And it's pretty good in Modern, too. But that's very contextualized. Because those formats are really, really good at dumping a lot of cards in the graveyard really early. And that creates Gurmag Angler as this very cheap, early 5-5. As well um, as lining up extremely well against the removal present in the those formats. Yeah, right, exactly. And... So that, that format context is very important. But if you take Gurmag Angler and you take it over to Standard, or even, you know, Limited, the card becomes much, much worse. Just right. because the, you know, as experienced Magic players, we all know that, you know, the graveyard just naturally isn't going to fill up that quickly. And it's going to be more like a 5-mana five 5-5, five, which is fine, but it's not broken by any context. And just in time right. to die to Ravenous Chupacabra, yeah. which is not the kind of card you can <coughs> play in modern. So. Yeah. You could so, even use cards currently in Standard to make this argument like search for his Kent, uh, yeah or, yeah yeah even arc light phoenix which mm-hmm. is getting cut now right because it's just much harder to utilize yeah exactly so yeah, people people are using their knowledge of the context of the formats to really get a better picture of the power level of these cards so if you're a new player and you want to understand more about the different formats so that you have this better understanding that we have that we, and these like you know tools that we get to use to evaluate things that's probably pretty good but i would warn you that you can very frequently get distracted you can, you can and yourself. get misinformation if you're if you're trying to evaluate the you know one card in a different format's context i think that the best advice that i could give from somebody in that position would be um just try to focus in on the format that you're trying to learn mm-hmm. and make sure that you're evaluating all the cards in, in that context. And, you know, definitely be hearing one of the things, especially when I started learning how to play Magic, that influenced my perspectives of individual cards was what people were saying about the cards, you know. And that that had its traps because sometimes cards are way overhyped and everybody believes that they're, you know, phenomenally good when in fact, whatever. Or, <laughs> or the other way around where there's a card that everybody thinks is really bad but might be very, very strong in certain contexts. But when I was learning how to play Magic, that's what I had to go off of, is that I would just, you know, utilize what everybody else's perspectives of how, how powerful these cards were. And I think that that was a really good base level. And, but it, you know, but I would hear sometimes that people were like, wow, this card is crazy in Legacy. And I would think that well, must mean it's really, really good yeah. in Standard, you know? <laughs> so I would like play it and then it turned out, you know, it was contextualized. So I think that it's probably better if you're specifically trying to get back into Standard and learn about Standard to just make sure that you're focusing on Standard. Make sure that all of the card evaluations that you're making are in the, in the Standard context. It's a little hard. Like, I understand that urge especially you know a lot of times when we see a a new standard card and we compare it to a similar card in an older standard format Mm -hmm. so you know we see legion war boss and then we can say well it's like ravel master except that you know it doesn't trade for our four four um these are ways of thinking about cards that we have because we have access to these historical standard formats Mm -hmm. it's really hard to access those formats 
from years later if you didn't watch coverage of them or play in them when they were around, but you can watch modern coverage and see some of these older cards in action. Mm-hmm. But it is very different. The the thing, too, is that the formats are also defined a lot by the cards in them. Like, totally by the cards in them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that modern... In modern, when you play a deck, you're not reaching for cards. You, you pretty much have the range of spells you want to play, and they're all very good. Because yeah. they, modern is like 15 years. <laughs> right, yeah. Long. It's if you really need an good. artifact hate card, you're going to yeah, have access to it. an artifact card. Yeah. yeah. If you want to discard cards, you can do it. You right. can find a way to do it. Yeah. Uh, whereas you'll see cards that show up in modern from standard that sees no play on standard because mm-hmm. standard has just no use for the card. Like, like creeping chill is a perfect creeping, example. Creeping chill. Yeah, that's not the one I was thinking of. That's better than my example. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, but that's an excellent. Like, why would you want creeping chill in modern? There's just or in standard rather. Yeah. It's just you don't have good ways of dumping into the graveyard. It's not really a racing format. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas modern. You have both of those things. It is a racing format, and you want you can easily put it in your graveyard. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I think that summed up my, my thoughts on that question. Right. I think paying too much attention to modern yeah. or legacy... It's easy to get distracted, and, and there are dangers of misinformation out there. Yep. Yeah. Yep. One thing, though, if anything costs four plus mana and sees play getting cast in modern, a card like that is probably good in standard. Like Teferi. Teferi, Teferi, <laughs> Crackling Drake, Bloodbraid Elf, Blood, Bloodbraid Elf, <laughs> Supreme Verdict, Jason like, the Mind Sculptor. Yep. <laughs> if it's getting cast just for its cost Tapping in modern, lands for modern, and it costs four mana or more, even three mana or more, it's it's probably a card like that is probably real good in standard too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Good default for sure. All right. Well. Well. Is that, think, does that wrap us up? I think that should pretty much wrap us up for this week. You guys going to play in the IQ this coming weekend? or I think I'm going to try to make it out. Is okay. it, it's modern? East Coast on Sunday. On modern, Sunday, yeah. Sunday, I'm probably not going to make it. No. Okay. Cool. I'll be excited might, to try to jam some more KCI. Yep. Yeah, I might. Someone might ask me for a KCI deck to land. I think Tealy wanted to play it or something okay, like that. Sure. So yeah. All right. Well, I'll, I'll be, be there in spirit. Excellent. I'll be there to, to counter some KCIs with ceremonious rejection. Hey. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Game one of that matchup is not, <laughs> not good for Phoenix. Right. Games right, right. two and three are interesting. Come on, Sai. Yeah. Every every post war game, you're just like, okay, Sai. Let's see how you're winning me this game. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thanks everybody so much for listening. Really appreciate you guys tuning in. If you would like to give us some support, you can head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast, or you can go to the website, mtggrindcast.com. You can find us on Twitter. I'm tweeting from at mtg underscore grindcast. Collins is also on Twitter. At Collins Mullen. Lee is also on Twitter. At Lee McLeo. And that's probably the best place to find the KCI Bible. Yeah, it's a, my the pinned, pinned tweet. Yeah, yeah, okay. My pinned tweet. Cool. <laughs> um... <laughs> Yeah, and so if you want to hit up our website, you can also find Collins' one-on-one coaching there yep. uh, if you're interested in that at all. And I think that's all the business we have for today. Yeah. yeah. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great week. Peace. Bye.